Okay, so there's a Shakespeare sonnet about uh, a particular war that went on. It was a, a speech given about the few. We few, we happy few. And that's us today. We, we happy few. Those of us that are here enjoying the spring ahead, 8.30, 9.30 sort of time with the 20 degrees and ice on the road and everything else. So I want to appreciate everybody for coming out. If you're listening to me, just to let you know, there's an auditorium that has your name on it. There's plenty of seats. You can come out and join us anytime you want to. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to open up with uh, a word of prayer uh, just to get us started in the right vein. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many opportunities that you provide for us to worship you, serve you, to let you know, or to let us know, rather, that, that you are our God and you are here for us. Father, we come before you now acknowledging that you are our God. We have no other God before you. And allow us to open our hearts and minds to the word that you have given us to help guide our footsteps on this earth, to help give us the, the courage and strength we need and the wisdom to follow you. And most importantly, Father, we ask that we can reach out and help others find you as well. Uh, Father, this, the strength that you provide us is not for us alone, it's for the world. The peace that you provide is for the world and is not just for us. Father, help us be your ambassadors. Help us be uh, your ability to spread your word and spread your peace. And Father, in all things we ask, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so last week I started with kind of a rundown on my sister-in-law's family that were trapped in Ukraine in Kharkov, um, all the shelling that was going on. Uh, they spent a couple, they spent probably two weeks in the shelter there in like 20 degrees, 30 degree weather. Um, they got them out of Kharkov, got them into Poland, flew to Chicago. Unfortunately, when they got to Chicago, her dad uh, was so weak, they had to take him to the hospital. He had gotten uh, pneumonia, the flu, um, and then somewhere along the trip, uh, he had suffered a mild heart attack. So they put him in intensive care in Chicago, uh, got him stabilized, ran some tests. Um, unfortunately, he's gonna need open heart surgery in order to get all of his strength back, which is um, kind of a kind of a downer. Um, there is a, a GoFundMe page because they don't have any medical insurance, obviously, to try to get that going. So just wanna let you know that they're here, they're in the States, they are on the way to my brother's house down in Atlanta, um, but they're not totally out of the woods yet. There's still some medical stuff that they have to get through. Um, but the Lord is great. He has provided them safety and provided them an opportunity to get out of that particular area. Um, I, another week in that uh, bomb shelter and, and he would have died of pneumonia. I, I, I'm pretty sure of that based on the condition that he was in. So glad to hear that he's out, um, but just a little bit more ground to cover before he uh, he's able to get there. Yes, and definitely keep my brother uh, and that family in your prayers. Um, oh, thank you, yeah. So Nadia's brother, the son, um, unfortunately he's military age and they will not let him leave Ukraine. So he and his family are still in Kharkiv, which is the city right there next to Russia that's being shelled quite heavily. Fortunately, his brother uh, has moved to a different bomb shelter that's a little bit further out of the city. It's a deeper bunker. It has heat in that particular bomb shelter, so they're able to stay a little warmer than they were in the one that um, my, the, the mother and father were in. So they're trying to move all of the people out of the city into more uh, structured, more fortified areas where people can survive the rest of the winter. Um, as you can imagine, living day in, day out in a bomb shelter, damp, cold, it's just not a healthy place. Um, 
so again, it, it's a terrible situation to be in right now. Um, so we definitely keep that entire area under in our prayers because it's just a mess. Um, speaking of military, we're going to continue uh, talking about how, in a military setting, we as Christians can embrace a lot of the things that are taught in the Word and help us stay motivated and stay connected and stay working together as a team. And in military uh, parlance, again, I used to teach this back when I was in uniform, and one of the things that's taught is when you, when you have an opportunity, take it. Uh, it was a friend of mine, he had a saying on his, on his uh, desk when you walked in, he said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And that kind of correlates with something called taking the shot or offensive. So I want to read a quick snippet for you. Um, this is a, a guy who won the Medal of Honor back in World War II. Uh, he was a commander of a U.S. destroyer, which is a, a boat that protects a task force, a fleet at, at sea. And during World War II, they were out on patrol. It was not a big task force, uh, maybe about 30 ships total. And they came across an entire Japanese massive task force that came across the horizon. And, and everybody was like, oh, we didn't know it was there. So there was a, a panic initially. They didn't know the U.S. was trying to figure out what they were going to do about it. And one of the guys who was on one of the destroyers just said, I got this, all head full. And he charged straight into the Japanese fleet. Now, the Japanese weren't expecting the Americans to be there either. And so they saw this tiny destroyer coming at them at full speed. And the Japanese Navy was like, what's this? Uh, they were trying to figure it out. It's interesting at sea, you have to figure out how to shoot your cannons in order to hit the targets. And he was moving so fast, they couldn't bring their cannons to bear on the destroyer. The destroyer got close enough that he was able to launch torpedoes and he took out one of the big ships right off the gate. And so the U.S. task force commander looked at him and said, okay, well, that worked. He sent all the rest of the destroyers and basically the task force to engage. After a lot of chaos, the bigger Japanese fleet that was being attacked by these few destroyers decided there was a much bigger fleet the U.S. had behind the horizon. They just didn't know it was there. And so they all turned tail and headed back to Japan. That is taking the initiative. That is what we call offensive. You don't sit around and you, and you wait for something to happen. You go ahead and take advantage of it. We, as Christians, have opportunities every day to take advantage of things when they rise. Unfortunately, our adversary also has opportunities to take advantage of things when they arise. In fact, our adversary Satan has the ability to create opportunities for himself. Does he not? Unfortunately, Satan can create opportunities that ultimately put us into a defensive posture versus an offensive posture. Which is better, being on the offensive or being on the defensive? Offensive is better in most cases, except when it's not. <laughs> Fair enough. Offensive is good because offensive, who knows what's happening when you're on the offensive? The offensive player or the defensive player? Offense. Who knows what play is going to be called in the huddle on a football team? The offense or the defense? What does the defense have to do? React. The defense is constantly trying to figure out what's going on on the offensive side and trying to adjust and trying to make things happen. So the offense already knows what's going on. The offense already has the idea of what needs to happen and how it should happen. And Satan is going to do everything he can to try to steal our ability to be on the offensive. 
Satan wants to be on the offensive because Satan wants to be the one who calls the shots. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which of those are offensive? The sword. The Word of God is offensive by nature. Why? Why is the Word of God considered an offensive weapon? Gates can't attack, gates can only defend, but to take down a defense, you need a good. What is God's word? It's offensive. God's word is a defensive buttress. It helps us build our defense, but in essence, it's the thing that will defeat Satan's gates. How does it do that? How does God's word prevail? It's active, it's quick, it's powerful, it's, it's something that we can do something with. I'll finish it up. Don't leave you hanging. Praying always with all prayers and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. How is the word of God offensive? To make known the word of the gospel. Can you sit in a foxhole and spread the word? Not really well. Not unless the person you're trying to evangelize is in the foxhole with you. The word of God is meant to be taken to the streets. The word of God is meant to be spread. You can't do that in a passive nature. You can't sit in a pew effectively and spread the word as easily as you can by sitting down with your friends over coffee and talking to others and being able to have that, that camaraderie that only comes by getting out and being with the people where the people are. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is defensive. Why is the helmet of salvation defensive? Protective. Exactly. The helmet is used for, for protection. The helmet is something that, that keeps you safe. How does salvation keep you safe? Are you worried about being tackled when you're on the offense? When you're carrying the ball on a football team, are you worried about being tackled? Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're worried about something happening to you while you're moving around. The helmet of salvation is that peace that comes from knowing you can't be harmed while you're taking the word of the gospel to others. Your salvation is secure. Satan cannot attack you and take away your salvation. Amen? Is there anything you can lose by taking the initiative? You can say it. Come on. Is there anything you can lose by stepping out and taking the initiative boldly in the cause of God? Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm open. What can you lose by stepping out and, and preaching the word? They feel like the people aren't listening or aren't receiving the word of God, so. There you go. You can lose a little bit of your dignity because people are gonna reject you, right? 
people are going to scoff at you and people are going to be rude to you if you, if you try to step out and, and say those kinds of things. Does, does the Bible have something to say about that? What does the Bible say about people who are rude to you because you are preaching the word? Who are they rejecting? They're rejecting God. They're not rejecting you. We tend to take things personally when people reject things of us, but is, is a little bit of personal discomfort a big deal or a little deal? A little deal. Is our salvation a big deal or a little deal? Which one is protected by the helmet of salvation? The big deal. Our salvation is intact. Our salvation is sure. And that's what God is trying to tell us. We don't have to worry about taking the offensive because God's already got our back. There's nothing people can take from us that is going to hurt. Hurt our pride a little bit, hurt our dignity a little bit. God's like, you can get over that. Okay. Should we, should we be ready for things? Okay. Can you always be on the offensive? Not really. You can't always be on the offensive, but you need to be ready for the offensive and ready to take it. So there's times in our Christian lives where we will we'll have a moment of downtime. We'll have a pause. What are the things that we should do when we're in those pause moments where we're not actively doing things? Seeking? Praying without ceasing. Thank you. Praying for opportunity, praying for strength, praying for wisdom, praying for things to, to create those opportunities where you can kind of step out and do things. I kind of think of it as the nurses and the doctors before COVID, right? The nurses and doctors in our medical facilities before COVID hit, they were constantly looking to do good things, but they, they weren't pushed to their edge. They weren't pushed to their limits. When COVID hit, especially in New York, we saw Healthcare workers doing 14, 18 hour shifts round the clock, just trying to stay up with the demand. If they hadn't been ready, if they hadn't been preparing for those kinds of scenarios, the healthcare workers would have been overwhelmed in a week, right? I mean, a week or two of, of that 24 seven nonstop kind of chaos probably would burn most people out. And as Christians, we can probably get into that same way if we aren't careful. If we aren't preparing ourselves for having those conversations with others, that first conversation can overwhelm us, right? What if we never take that, that opportunity to have that first conversation? What if we're so afraid of what may happen, we never step out and have the first conversation where we say, hey, this is what I'm thinking, this is who I am. Can you imagine how challenging that is? Absolutely. You bring fewer people or you bring no one to Christ if you don't take that first effort. If you don't try at least a little, you haven't brought anyone to Christ. You have not spread the word. In that scenario, Satan's on one side, we're on the other, rallying for Christ. Who wins in that scenario? Satan wins. Satan wins in the scenario where we are unwilling or unable to step out 
and speak on behalf of God. Does it make sense that Satan is going to do everything he can to try to intimidate us and try to keep us from doing that? Okay, Satan wants us to not take the initiative. Satan wants us to feel comfortable in our foxholes and never step out. What are some of the ways that Satan can kind of help do that for us? Yes. So I was just thinking, you know, you know, Satan doesn't fight fair. <laughs> he likes to, you know, try to get us when we're at the weak point, right? When we're tired, hungry, or tempted, whatever. So, I, and I think it was Ricky who preached a couple of years ago about, you know, Satan, that he doesn't have anything to lose, you know? And, and when he said that, that really... That really got to me because I was like, oh, snap, right? Like, he really doesn't. Like, <laughs> you know, that's why he doesn't care, right? He He's going to do everything that he can because he really doesn't have anything to lose, but we have everything to lose. So for him, it's like, I'm going to go after you because you, you have what I used to have, right? So I feel like there's a level of envy that he has too. And so he's trying to do everything in his power to, to get us to to lose what we have in Christ. Absolutely. Satan really doesn't have anything to lose because Satan has already lost. Amen? So when he doesn't have anything to lose, he plays what we call the spoiler. He's going to do everything he can to disrupt God's plan because that's all Satan can do. We, in our minds, we have a lot of things that we're going to put at risk when we step out for Christ. We have our time. We could be doing other things. We have our talents. I could be spending my time and my talents to do other things. We have our pride, which we mentioned earlier. We have a lot of things that we put at risk when we step out for Christ and we say, hey, I want to help somebody do X. We put our resources, we put ourselves on the line to help make this work. Does that make sense? Yes. I think the biggest issue a lot of times, I'm probably good without I think the biggest issue a lot of times is not so much not having the the time per se or the ability. It's it's the consequence of what that conversation may bring. Because we talk to people all the time. We talk to them about COVID, we talk to them about Ukraine, we talk to them about our kids, we talk to them about school about work, like we talk to people all the time, but to engage with them in that conversation about their spirituality and their faith, there's a risk that you take that, now this person's gonna think I'm crazy, like you the only church that's right, like now they might not wanna come over my house. So the compromise there is your relationship with that person and how you are viewed. But I think that there are plenty of hours in a day and there are plenty of opportunities that we engage with people but it's just, what do we prioritize in that conversation? What's front of mind? What is most urgent? You talked about urgent and important. What's most important and what's urgent in that moment? Is it COVID or is it their soul? Amen. And that gets me to the, another point we've got in this process. Two things that we should never talk about over dinner. Football, I mean, politics and religion, right? <laughs> Football is a close third. Those are the things that can create a lot of animosity between people because it's a very personal thing. 
my viewpoints, what I think should be done politically are mine, right? What I think, how I believe salvation is one, who I think God is, that's me. That's a personal thing on me. And so Satan wants us to create these, I, I liken the conversation to do's and don'ts. So as you start having a conversation with someone, there are the things you can talk about, which is here, and the things you can't talk about, which is over here. And then there's kind of this gray area in the middle, right? You, you, kind, of, you kind of dance around and you sort of feel where those, and if, if you know the person, you've already figured out where, those, where the gray lines are and what, what you can talk about, what you can't talk about. And there are parts of religion that typically fall over here. And Satan wants us to focus on the parts of religion we can't talk about. You know, um, the method of salvation, is that, is that going to step on people's feet just a little bit, especially if they're a Catholic and we're Christian? And, and so there's things there that cause challenges, and you know there's going to be friction points along that way. Are they important? Absolutely, they're important. But Satan wants us to think that that is so taboo that it crosses the line all the way over to hey, God is so good to me, he has blessed my life by doing X, Y, and Z. Because anytime you start talking about God, Satan wants you immediately to think about this little spot right here that's going to cause all kinds of fireworks, so you can't talk about God because this spot is going to create a lot of challenge. Well, I can talk about God here. Yeah, but you don't want to do that because this is a scary spot over here. We have to be prepared to talk about God in all situations with all people and in a way that doesn't alienate people immediately, but draws people into the conversation. I can tell anybody how great God has been in my life, what God has done for me, because that's me. That's personal. I have to be willing to open up and express myself in that fashion. I have to be willing to talk about my sister-in-law and her family in Ukraine. I have to be willing to talk about those kinds of things that are personal. But I have to be willing, right? The first word is willing. So in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8, it says, Also I hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So the first part is, we have to be prepared to talk on behalf of the Lord. We have to be willing to be sent. But we also have to be willing to accept the fact that people are not going to be receptive at first. Satan is going to blind people's eyes. Satan is going to dull their ears. Satan is going to cause people to immediately get this defensive reflection point that, oh, no, you're talking about God, so therefore it's something that's going to be offensive to me. No. God, God is so big. There are so many places that we can talk about that God is in our lives that as... As we understand people and as we realize that they want to talk about God just as much as we want to talk about, there's that natural desire, but the frustration is caused because Satan has put those little, those little landmines in place that we're going to step on something that might cause us to, to have a challenge with our friends. And if we start with how good God is and how many blessings and the, and the great things that he has provided for us, we're naturally going to find a lot of commonality. But we have to be willing to take that first step, and we have to be willing to let others take that first step with us. Sometimes you want to take 
Ah. Yes, so loving and caring, those are the two ingredients that absolutely make this real. What's the difference between somebody standing on a preach corner shouting hell's fire and brimstone and sitting down at a table with somebody and, and sharing how, how God has been working in your life? What's the difference between those two approaches? to tune you out because you haven't even given them a chance to digest or even let you know what they think about. So the second one is a much better approach because it allows you to have a conversation. The first one, it just, I just tune you out. The first one is the truth, but it, but it causes people to immediately go, wait a minute, I, I don't want to hear this because I'm the bad guy. I am, I am not, you're not, you're not meeting me at my needs. The woman at the well. Yes. It's a lot less confrontational, oftentimes is the case. Okay, so confrontation becomes the, the antithesis of the love and caring and openness that we want to have when we're talking about who God is, especially who Christ is in our lives and the, the, the blessings that he bestows upon us. So while we're sitting and we don't have that active discipleship going on in our lives, we can pray for an opportunity to, to see how we can become more loving, more caring, more, more kind. A comment over here. Right. Passing the microphone around. Yeah, so if you have a comment, let's, let's hold it until we get the microphone because we've got quite a few people on Zoom that, we'll, that would like to hear as well. I was just thinking about how Jesus transformed or reached people. It was a personal one-to-one, -one, typically direct, uh, and he trained the disciples to do that. Make Absolutely. that relationship connection. It's that personal relationship. It's the one-to-one -one connection. We don't have to try to shout from the rooftops. We can have a one-to-one -one relationship. Listen to Mark, uh, Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. We don't have to be a pulpit minister to spread the gospel. We simply have to find people who need that compassion, need that love, need that joy in their lives, that are looking for something more than the pain that Satan has constantly heaped on us. And that's how we can break down those barriers, is by finding people who are looking for something that God can provide. All we're going to do is plant seeds. And church, I want us to understand that. We are not going to individually save lives. God has done that. Christ has paid that price on the cross. All we're going to do is tell people Salvation is here. Peace is here. Joy is here. We can be a brotherhood and a sisterhood in Christ, in this world, without worry about Satan, without worry about all of the things that are going on. And you don't have to give up the innermost being of your life. In fact, the innermost being of your life is who God desperately wants. He wants all of us to come as we are. And that's another challenge we've got with the offensive piece is 
we think we have to be good enough to spread the word because somebody is going to ask us, well, what makes you so special? How are, how are you so blessed? How is your life so perfect that you can tell me how to live my life? And we get into this challenge where we think we have to be good enough to be on display. We have to be blameless. We have to be sinless. We have to have that white robe that we made ourselves because that's who people are going to see. Who is putting that in our minds? Satan is putting that in our minds. He is telling you, you have to be good enough so that when somebody comes at you, you can defend all of the barbs that are going to be thrown at you. You have to defend all of the muck and the mud that's going to be slung at you from the world. Wait a minute. We talked about that just a minute ago. What, what helps us deflect all that stuff? What is going to defend us? There's something we put on our heads. The helmet of salvation. Whose salvation? Our salvation? Christ's salvation. The salvation purchased by Christ. We didn't earn that salvation. We simply put that helmet on. We didn't make it. We didn't forge it. I didn't tap that. I didn't even put a signal on it. I didn't even put my name on that helmet. God did. That is who is going to protect us from all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And that's the message that Satan cannot, cannot defend against. We don't have to be perfect, and that's the message we have to tell everybody else. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, the weaker you are, the more broken you are, the more humble you are, God is able to use you. Because if you have reached the bottom, the only way up is in Christ. And people will recognize that. So when we find people that are broken and, and hurting, those are the people who want to find Christ. We just have to be ready to pass that message on. So that's an individual piece. That's how we as individuals can work together to help further the message of Christ. How do we as a church come together? How do we collectively unify? Unfortunately, I've got a bad example of that. Um, I've got a, a case where God's people lost the initiative. They just totally blew it. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. Um, well, that's, that's the, the case of Abraham. I want to step over to Numbers chapter 14 uh, for the sake of time. So Numbers chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried out. And the people wept that night. This is during Exodus, by the way. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and let us go back into slavery in Egypt. Okay, that's a case where God's people totally lost the initiative. Totally. Had, had God brought them out of Egypt? Had God brought them across the wilderness? Had God provided them the promised land? What did they have to do? Follow, lead, follow, or get out of the way. God's the leader. All they had to do was follow. We can have as much initiative following God's word as we can by stepping out and preaching the gospel. Amen? The initiative comes by following God's word as easily as it does by leading. We can't all lead. We can in our personal lives. Absolutely. Be a leader in your personal life. Take possession. Take responsibility for you as a Christian. 
But in a congregation, we have leaders and we have followers. Leaders are great. I love having leaders that step forward and want to do things. But the congregation also desperately needs followers. Amen? If we aren't going to lead, it's okay. You don't have to lead. But we have to be willing to follow. And we have to be willing to follow God's word in the congregation and help move the church forward. If we lose that initiative, if we decide, meh, the church isn't doing what I want it to do. You know, again, that little tiny spot that, that's at that little landmine that makes me mad, that church stepped on that landmine for me. Okay, meh. You lose the initiative because as a body, we cease to follow. And God can't really work with a congregation that isn't willing to follow the plan that God has put forward. We've got a lot of information and revelations about churches that have lost the initiative, that, that chose to do things their own selves, either because they had a bad leader or because they had bad followership. And so we've got those, those pieces where things kind of work against themselves. Uh, Revelations chapter 3, verse 14. This is the church in Laodicea. This is probably the prime example of a congregation that totally lost the mentality of followership. These things, says the, uh, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation. I know your works that you are neither hot nor, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him, and he with me. So the church in Laodicea had become lukewarm. Does anybody know what lukewarm milk tastes like? Yeah. Does anyone know what lukewarm coffee tastes like? Yeah. Coffee is either good, cold, or hot, right? Okay. And that's what he's saying. There's actually um, a good a geograph, a geologist kind of walked me through this. Laodicea had hot and cold springs in the area. And there was hot springs where you could go to be purified. And there was cold running water out of the mountains where you could drink. The thing you did not ever want to do in Laodicea was drink the water that was lukewarm, where the hot water had kind of started getting over into the cold water because in that lukewarm water, bacteria grew. And bacteria would make you sick. And that's the image he is giving to the Laodiceans. You have become lukewarm. You are that water that is tepid and full of bacteria and, and wretched. That is what I'm going to vomit out of my mouth because you have become this unwholesome blend between hot and cold. You're neither valuable for healthy inducing, nor are you cold water that's free of bacteria. The church can become that. The church can become sedentary. We can look and say, hey, hmm, I've got enough for me. Why do I worry about somebody else? Who's teaching us that? Satan. We can say, wow, I'm not hurting right now. Isn't it a blessing for me to just simply sit back and take my blessings and hold on to what I've got? Because 
the future may be something that is a little bit a little bit out there you know i may need all of the resources god has given me today because something's coming tomorrow that may be worse than what i've got today who's teaching us that can you start to feel how satan works through to try to undermine our confidence our ability our joy our health because what happens when you decide that you need what you have for tomorrow what does that do to us? Makes you inactive? Makes us selfish? Makes us complacent? It makes us realize that, hey, I need to worry about tomorrow because who's not going to protect me tomorrow? Who is not going to protect me tomorrow if I have to protect it for myself? God, there you go. Comment? Um, that kind of reminds me of that scripture in Matthew when it talks about the bears of the air and the lilies of the field, just worrying about tomorrow and, you know, just giving giving it up to God and having that faith to kind of keep on, keeping on every day. Um, I think sometimes, like I, I said earlier, sometimes we get discouraged um, when things aren't going our way or sometimes when things are going our way because things have not gone our way. Now we feel like we got to hold on to it. And that's usually us like having a lack of faith. Amen. The challenge is Satan is going to make us feel like we have to look out for ourselves because who else is looking out for us? When, when he gets us to the point that we have to look out for ourselves, who else will look out for us? Nobody. You're in that foxhole. You're by yourself. You only have enough food to feed yourself. You could be sitting on a year's supply of MREs. Uh, military rations, they're horrible, but you know, when, when, when they're yours, they're yours, right? Amen? You could have the most rotten food in the world, but if it's yours, you're going to protect it, right? But food is kind of funny. Does food last long? No, food doesn't really last long. A couple of days it spoils, it's gone. And then you got to throw it out and start over again. But we get in this mindset that the blessings of God have to be preserved because God's only going to bless us just a little bit. Remember manna from heaven, the first day it came down? What do the people want to do with it? Gather it all up together because God's not going to give me any tomorrow. God's like, you're, you're, you're foolish. Why are you doing this? I have you. You are protected. I have your salvation. There's nothing you're going to lose. Share what you have. How can we overcome God's or how can we overcome Satan's desire to have us become this protective, selfish little bunch? What do we have to do? We have to listen to God's voice and not Satan's. We have to listen to God's voice. We have to take something I call a leap of faith because Satan is going to do everything he can to keep us from taking this thing called the, the, the initiative, taking that offensive, taking that first step. Because when we take that first step and we see that, hey, God's promise held up. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait. I, I think, I think, I think I can. I think I can. I, you see where I'm going with this, right? We start saying, I think I can. And then before you get there, it's, I know I can. Stepping out boldly is what God wants us to do. That is what God is asking of us. You can't step out boldly if you're hiding in a foxhole. 
You have to take that first step. You have to take the offensive. And as a congregation, we have to stand up and we have to follow people who are doing that. So lead, follow, or get out of the way. And that's kind of that sign that I'm hearing. If we can lead, lead. As a congregation, if we can follow, follow. Follow boldly. Follow with confidence that the, the blessings you are sharing today, those blessings are going to get hit back on you tomorrow. God's Word tells us that there is nothing that we need tomorrow that God isn't going to provide for us. And unfortunately, all of our lives have a commonality. In 100 years, I don't think there's going to be very many of us here. 100 years from now, our lives are going to be done on this earth, and we will be living in joy. I see a little one back there. He may be around. I got faith. <laughs> but we're here for a little while. The greatest blessing that we can have is salvation. The greatest blessing we can share is salvation. Amen? We can share salvation by meeting people in their needs. When we see somebody hurting, when we see somebody who, who needs help, that's an opportunity for us to help break down the barriers we were talking about earlier. We can express our love and compassion and we can reach out with that joy that makes us distinctly Christians, not just human, but Christian, in our confidence and in our faith and in the fact that we know by taking these steps, each step leads us closer to Christ. Each step gets us closer to the love that God has for us. And each step makes us more visible to those around us because as we keep making these steps, who's watching? Who's watching us make these steps? Come on. God and Satan. Satan's getting nervous. God's going, yes, amen, please continue. Who else is watching us take these steps? Other people around us. Everybody around us is watching us take these steps. And as a congregation, as we move forward and take these steps together collectively, arm in arm, the world is watching this congregation move. And as we step forward, as we take these steps, the world is going to go, hey, you know, that church in Laurel's got something going on. They're, 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 they're together. Is it interesting to watch a football team that just seems to play together in sync? There's, there's not those hot dog stars that kind of are one size fits all and do everything. Everybody on the team comes together. And even the people that like are on the stands are all getting excited because their team is together and they're together with their team. That's the kind of joy that God wants us to be as his congregation. He wants us to all lead, follow in love and in compassion. Again, my friend Saying says, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I don't want anybody to get out of the way. I want us all committed. Everybody has an opportunity to lead. Everybody has an opportunity to follow. By taking either of those actions, we ultimately have the opportunity to defeat Satan. I've hit the end of my notes. I've hit the end of time. And I appreciate everybody coming out today. Thank you very much for your comments. Um, as we get further into the class, I, I look forward to having even more comments. Um, again, I love having good dialogue going on. But with that, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. And enjoy the rest of Sunday. Brother Ricky, I'm looking forward to the sermon today. Thank you all.